You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Father, we thank you so much. We look forward to hearing from your word this morning. And as Mike has been studying your word, Lord, uh, we know that you've been giving him wisdom and uh, we trust that you'll speak through him this morning. And so Holy Spirit, work in him and work in us as we hear the word taught. Uh, Bless our time together and uh, all the children as they're being taught this morning as well, Lord. uh, Be glorified in all this. And might we all grow wiser and stronger in our knowledge and our love for you uh, as as each week goes by. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, to turn to James chapter two, verses one through 13 today. Let's read our scripture for today. James chapter two. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in a shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let us pray. Lord, we're just so grateful for your word. And Lord, we thank you that when we come to a passage like this, Lord, that you You show us what it is, what your heart is, Lord, for the people and how we should work out our faith, Lord. And I just pray as we come to this passage this morning, we come with open hearts and open minds to your word and that your spirit might speak to us by them. And for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Yesterday morning, I had no voice at all. And so the Lord has uh, restored me a little bit. And uh, so hopefully I can make it another, you know, 45 minutes or so. But, so I was in Ukraine with uh, Nick, Pastor Nick, a few, uh, few weeks ago. And while I was in Kiev, Ukraine, I got to a chance to visit the World War II Museum. Uh, they're dedicated specifically to the Battle of Kiev. And I'm kind of a World War II kind of history buff. And I've watched many, if not all, of the documentaries surrounding the war on the Eastern Front during World War II. And 
And even though most of the displays were in Ukrainian and I didn't really understand what they were talking about, I was still taken aback regarding the magnitude of this battle that was against the Nazis. And there was one particular incident that came to mind as, as I was preparing for this sermon, and it'll be with the first of one of a couple of illustrations or examples that I want to share with you this morning to kind of set the tone for our study today. And so the first example I have is that on September, September 26 of 1941, an order went out from the general command of the Nazis, and since, uh, since now that the Nazis have already overrun the city of Kiev, and they now occupy that city, and this order came from the general command saying all Jews must appear at a certain time in a certain place on September 29th of 1941 for transportation, relocation, out of the city and they were to bring their valuables and, and their luggage and those things that they would want to take with them under the guise that they would be relocated to another place. And when they'd gathered all of these Jews up, they were then marched outside the city and over the course of two days, they were machine gunned down and murdered, 300, 333,771 in all. And that would be the only beginning of the horror for those who lived in the Ukraine. A total of 500,000 Jews were lost to the Holocaust and a total of 7 million civilian deaths in Ukraine alone during World War II. You just wonder, you know, boggles the mind, how does discrimination reach this extreme? My second example illustration of this morning is a bit closer to home and it starts out in 1525, between 1525 and 1866 in the entire history of the slave trade to the New World, according to the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database, 12.2 million Africans were shipped to the New World, kidnapped against their will, and 10.7 million survived that dreaded trip across the ocean, disembarking in North America or in the Caribbean or in South America. Almost two million died on that voyage across the sea. And many of these slaves would be bought by Christian landowners to work the cotton fields and work as servants, treated like animals in many ways. Now the first example, of course, you would say is purely demonic and horrifying, showing the extreme of one man's thirst for power and supremacy without a thought to the cost of humanity. It's pure hatred. The second example is a bit more puzzling though, even though 200 plus years later we would say that slavery, slavery was clearly wrong, but during those days it was defended from the pulpits of many churches. The Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Baptists would always all divide up into North and South during the Civil War as they struggled over this particular topic. Somehow it justified as being right and would take the words of Thomas Jefferson to spell it out. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Of course, these truths are only self-evident to those who truly understand and have been transformed by the gospel. But even today, the poor and disenfranchised are used as pawns in a political struggle for power, and even many who call themselves Christians many times add to the problem instead of being the solution. People are either labeled social justice warriors on one side or hate mongers on the other side. Partiality is alive and well in our culture today. And slavery has not gone away. It's, it's evolved into human trafficking and sex trafficking, diminishing the value of those created in the image of God. And James is going to speak to an issue that's not a conservative issue. It's not a liberal issue. It is a gospel issue. It is to know who we are in the light of the gospel and how that can make us people 
and agents of mercy, seeing the world through the eyes of Christ. And that's the title of our message here today, if you're taking notes. And if you have your YouVersion Bible, you can find it online there. All my, my notes are in there, and, and the Bible verses we'll be looking at. And it's just a great way to follow along. We'll be looking at three points this morning, and they go like this. Number one, a heart relationship manifested in an outward expression. Second point being thinking redemptively about other people. And the third point where mercy and judgment meet. Now you may be thinking, whoa, Mike, this is like really intense. You know, I, I just live here a quiet life in Longmont, Colorado. How am I involved with the Holocaust or slavery or racial tensions and prejudice in the world today? Can I even affect these areas in my life? You know, you may very well be right. I've been at this church now for a year and a half, having been a missionary overseas for many years. And I've seen this church grow in diversity even since I've been here. I've seen the desire of you, the church, to, to minister to those who come through our doors who are less fortunate, they're homeless, they're drug addicts, some of them even just looking for a handout. You know, we have Project Greatest Gift that ministers to foster kids every year, a huge program here in Weld County that we are a big part of and you guys support through your giving every single year. And then also the back to school project we do for low income families and the, the support for that's overwhelming, you know? And I think the fact that we support so many missionaries in Eastern Europe and they've come through and, and shared their, their testimonies here with you, that you know that there's a world beyond Longmont, Colorado, that we can, we can affect that with the gospel. I felt it quite amusing at Christmas time when we spent weeks preparing the choir to sing the songs. And the one thing we didn't spend any time on at all was reading the Christmas story in four different languages. And that was the most feedback I got after the Christmas program was how touching that was for so many people to hear the Christmas story read in Ukrainian, read in Hungarian, read in Spanish, and read in English. You just kind of, your mind was open to the fact that the whole world right now is celebrating the birth of our Savior. You know, and through your giving each week, we're able to support an organization that's on the front lines of human trafficking in Hungary, raising awareness, but also providing a way of escape for those trapped in that lifestyle. But, but nonetheless, this is the joy, this is the pain, this is the benefit of teaching through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, which is what we do here. And you can't escape themes sometimes. And when we come across a book like James, we read it and we preach it. And God has something to say to us through these verses today, maybe to challenge us to, to, as we look into the mirror of his word. And so the first point, a heart relationship manifested in outward expression. If we, if we come back to the end of chapter one, we read in verse 26, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Well, what do you do with a verse like that? You know, James says, if I can't control my mouth, my religion is Worthless, it's useless, that's pretty intense. And James goes on in chapter two to say that if we show partiality towards other people, we have in verse four become judges with evil thoughts. In verse six, we have dishonored that person. Verse nine, we have committed sin. That is also very intense. What, what do we do when we come across passages like this in the Bible? Well, sometimes it, we just need to take the time to just stop and ask the questions that the scripture is asking us. Lord, do I have a problem with my tongue? Lord, do I have prejudice in my heart? Lord, do I judge people before I know them or do I judge them by the things I've heard about them or, or do I keep silent when I should 
speak up. David prayed in Psalm 139, in verse 23 and 24, he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And let that be our prayers. We come to these verses this morning. As we studied last week in James 1, verse 23, the word of God is a mirror reflecting back to us the state of our hearts. And as James quickly brings us back to that point as we start in chapter two, and I, I found it interesting at that in the end of chapter one, verse 27, that James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, James never uses that word religion again from here forward through the rest of the letter. It would be so easy for us at the end of that chapter to, to take away a list of works to perform and have the sense that you're okay. Yes, I, I can take care of orphans and widows and not drink or chew or go with girls that do or however the phrase goes, you know. No, James gets back to the point that faith is a hard issue, a heart relationship manifested in an outward expression. Just as bridling the tongue is a hard issue, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, Jesus said. So it is for you and I to show partiality based on anything but the finished work of Jesus Christ. And James here is going to present to us a principle, the principle of impartiality that is rooted in mercy and even more specifically flows from the very character and nature of Jesus, the Lord of glory. And then he's going to present to us a scenario that illustrates his point and then make some arguments to show why this principle is so important. Now, if you remember, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He is most likely speaking to Jews there in Jerusalem who would probably know the Old Testament very well. They would know that Leviticus 19.15 says, you shall do no injustice in court You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. They would also know Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. But James would also have the words of Jesus himself in his mind, Matthew 5, 3, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Or Matthew 7, Verses one and two, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And as James walked with Jesus and saw him crucified, he would come to that same conclusion as Paul in Philippians 2, 4, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself or made himself no reputation by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or Ephesians 2.14 I love this verse. For he himself, Jesus, he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Not only the wall that separates you and I from God, but those walls that separate us from people. All are equal at the foot of the cross. Galatians 3.25 drives that point home for us when it says, but now that faith has come, 
We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This would have been an incredible and revolutionary idea in the days that James was writing this letter, writing to a very segregated and divided society. Even as the church was changing and evolving in this newfound faith in Jesus, slaves and masters sitting together in church, men and women sitting together in church, Jews and Greeks sitting together in church. And I love the exchange Peter has with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. If you know the story, when Cornelius comes, a Gentile, to visit Peter, who also had a dream about Cornelius visiting, and Peter says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does does what is right is acceptable to him. And these words were not from Peter, who was wise in grace and the gospel, but from one who had just come to understand that the gospel was for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, James gives us here an example of partiality that has no place among Christians. This is one kind of illustration, but I think there can be, there can be many, and that's why I chose to use and include the idea of prejudice and racism in our conversation today as well, because whatever illustration you choose to use to show partiality, the root is the same. The root is the same, a misunderstanding of the gospel and in turn the diminishing of the work of the Lord of glory, our Savior, Jesus. Now James tells a story of a rich man with gold rings and fine clothes who comes into their assembly and an assembly here is just the Greek word for synagogue, which doesn't necessarily mean that they were meeting in a temple, but that was the common word used in Greek for the meeting together of Jews or Christians or any gathering of people. And at the same time, a poor man has come in with filthy clothes on and preferential treatment is then given to the rich man because of his wealth and his perceived influence. And that wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for the fact that the poor man is also singled out for preferential treatment, but not one of honor like the rich man, but one of dishonor. And then we read in verse four, have you not then made distinctions or shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, various translations, depending on what Bible you're reading this morning, uses, they use different words for this word partiality that I'm using. Uh, make distinctions or show partiality or show favoritism or discriminate against, all of which give us a clear understanding of what James is pointing, James here is pointing out. For the, the sake of our study, I will just continue to use the word partiality. And that means that you base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone or something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. Let me just say that one more time. Partiality means that you base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone or on something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. And James says, this is evil. We need to think redemptively of others, which is our second point this morning. Think redemptively of others. And I, I tried to think of ways that we, we manifest partiality in our lives. And I came with, with five ways that I think we, we can sometimes manifest partiality in our lives. And the first one To show partiality shows that we care more for the outward appearance than we do about the heart. And we all know that verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where where the Lord spoke to Samuel, for the Lord does not see as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord 
looks on the heart. But I only think it's fair here to say that you and I really don't have the ability to see as God sees, right? We, we interact with people on the, on the basis of sight and hearing. We can, we can pray that God reveals to us, but we, we judge people by their actions every single day. And every day people are trying to portray a life, maybe on social media, maybe in their social circles, maybe even at church, a life that many times is far from the truth. And why do they do that? So that people like them, so that they can fit in or, or be affirmed or that people would think more highly, highly of them. And funny enough, in, in the days that James wrote this particular letter, people could rent rings for special occasions if they needed to. This was a sign of wealth in that society. And of course, it seems nothing has changed much today, has it? And I, I think this also manifests in the desire for wanting to belong. We are willing to overlook things to be accepted. We want to be around those who seem successful. We should always pray that God gives us the eyes of Christ in these situations. The second one that I thought of, the way we show partiality, shows that we, we misunderstand who is important and blessed in the sight of God. When we assume that the rich man is more important to God or more blessed by God, we put too much value in material riches or the influence these riches might bring. There in verse five, James drives this point home. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now I want to make an important distinction here as well. James is not giving a warning because the rich man was honored. There was nothing wrong with giving the rich man honor. This is not the pulling down of the rich man. You know, it was because the poor man was not given the same honor based purely on his outward appearance and his assumed station in life. Yes, James is going to continue to talk about the rich and the riches are fleeting and passing away. And that's, of course, a lesson to us today. But I've met a lot of poor people who their idol is also money. The point here is that we are all equal at the foot of the cross, all equal in the sight of God. Though there is a truth in God's economy, and I think we all know that, that, that those who are poor amongst us, maybe even ourselves, many times we see a need for a savior much sooner than those that are blinded by money and blinded by power. It's so many times when we come to the end of ourselves that we need to grab onto Jesus. And I will admit that one of the reasons that I went on the mission field back in 1996 was that I knew I couldn't live by faith in Southern California. I had a great job, I had a great sports car, I had great friends, I went to a great church, but I knew I couldn't live by faith. So I fled to Eastern Europe where I couldn't speak the language and I knew nobody, you know? So I had to cling to Jesus and that was me. That was me, that's the, how the Lord got hold of my life and taught me to live by faith. Somebody who had grown up in the church that was the way I'd learned to, to live by faith. And 20 plus years later, I've, I've come back and I see the blessings of living in this country and the freedom that, from the many of the horrors that they experienced over there in Eastern Europe. We are blessed. And may God give us the wisdom to use that blessing for his gospel and for his glory. And, and the story also, the story that James tells makes complete sense to me as well because living in Eastern Europe, it was all about who you know. If you needed something done quickly or cheaply, it was all about who you know or who you could pay. 
You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, the buddy system. And churches was no different. Churches not as well off as they are here. And if a, a celebrity or a well-known music rock star, a music star or a politician came to your church, that was a big deal. And you could get things done that you, you couldn't get done before. You know, now what is interesting here about James' story that there's no reference to the fact that these men are Christians or brothers in the Lord. You know, what kind of mixed signal does that does the church send when it makes judgments like this? And I think it kind of speaks a little bit to our celebrity culture that has prevailed the church today. You know, I had a friend many years ago tell me that the church he went to was the same church that a certain supermodel went to, as if that gave the church some kind of credibility, you know, or the justification gymnastics people use to prove their favorite music artists are Christians because they use the word God in the lyrics or they thank Jesus in the CD cover you know, yet their lifestyles don't seem to represent any, or seem to represent the opposite of the gospel. When a popular person gets saved in church and the church trusts them for it as an advertisement for Jesus and the church, you know, what is our claim here to fame at Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado? Are there many celebrities here amongst us? I don't know, maybe you are. I don't know, you, it's good you haven't revealed yourself, you know. But we want to make Jesus famous. We want to make Jesus famous. And the power, and we really, and I truly believe this, the power is in the gospel, the gospel to change lives. And that is what we want to preach each and every week to anybody that walks through those doors, rich and to the poor, the famous and not so famous, to anybody who will listen. We want to preach it to ourselves every single week. And blessed are you this morning who strive every day to represent Christ around you. Though no one knows your name, the burden for the gospel is born on the backs of people like you. There's this wonderful proverb that I found in the Bible. Proverbs 22.2, it says, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Or in the New King James Version, it says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. I just love, love that verse that, that God just makes it so clear to us where his heart and mind is. Thirdly, I think we show partiality by not giving proper worth to all those created in the image of God out of ignorance or misinformation or the fact that they are different. This was the mistake, of course, of those slave owners many years ago and plagued the U.S. throughout the Martin Luther King Jr. days, civil rights movement, and even today, as many predict, we're on the verge of another civil war. You know, are we guilty of honoring some and dishonoring another? And I know I've been guilty of judging people because they were different to me and came from a different culture I didn't even understand. And when I finally understood that culture, God opened my eyes to their, their need for a savior as much as I need Jesus as well. Fourthly, I think we show partiality when we show indifference, when we don't speak up when we should. And I've certainly been guilty of this in my life as well, but this was also the sin of the church in the times of Hitler. Many turned a blind eye to the, the plight of the Jews and only spoke up when it was too late. And I know that's, of course, an extreme example for us this morning, but, but James tells us there in chapter one that things take on a progression. They begin somewhere, you know? How many more babies will be murdered through abortion each year if there were not God-fearing politicians and God-fearing pastors and people standing in the gap for them? I just saw this morning on the news that the governor of Mississippi signed an abortion ban bill, and in, in his comments, he says, I want to be able to tell the Lord I fought for the innocent. There are people like that standing in the gap for those that are less 
can't fight for themselves. Or those that are working on the behalf of the disenfranchised among us, caught up in the sex industry or human trafficking. God has called us to be the hands and feet. And next week, we'll look at that idea a bit more. But we're standing on the side of those who are poor without hope, suffering, and downtrodden. This is the very part of the nature of Jesus and an essential part of the gospel we preach. Fifthly and lastly, I think another way we show impartiality or partiality, excuse me, in our lives is the boxes that we put people in or the labels that we give people. And this, uh, this is brought on by the psychologizing of our language. You know, we hear this all the time that this person has this certain kind of personality. They're an A type, B type, C type, G type, whatever it is, or this type of temperament. And, and then that puts them in a certain kind of box or puts a certain kind of label on them. And we need to be careful not to always filter our interactions with them through that label. So many times we say, and I know I've said it, well, they really surprised me when they did that. And we realized that we, we had had preconceived idea of how they should be acting because of a label that we were viewing them through. I think prejudice creeps into our hearts many times when we, we judge how we're doing based on how other people are doing. We are comparing, judging, stalking them maybe on Facebook. You know, it's subtle, but it's, it's the way our hearts react when we compare instead of show mercy, when we are not thinking redemptively of others. And how do we think redemptively of others? It's when we show them honor as Jesus would show them honor. We show mercy when there are perceived injustices done to us. We choose to give the benefit of the doubt when not all the facts are in. Pastor Nick always uses this phrase and question. He says, do you find God useful or do you find him beautiful? And I think the answer reveals the understanding that we have of the gospel. The same can be said about people. Do we find people useful or do we find people beautiful? That answer reveals, again, our understanding of the gospel and leads us to thinking redemptively of others in the light of the mercy that we have received. Only when we start thinking redemptively of others do we find true freedom and liberty, as James here shares with us in verses 12 and 13. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, which is our third point this morning, where mercy and judgment meet. Liberty comes and trusting that God will take care of it. We don't need to bring a judgment. Our mandate is to love our neighbors as ourselves, whether they be rich or whether they be poor, let God be the judge. The test always comes when we are burned, right? When people take advantage of us or our initial assessment of them was correct, right? We thought they were a certain way. They turned out to be a certain way. We chose to give them the benefit of the doubt and then we got hurt or we suffered loss in some way. And it's so much easier than to put up barriers and to judge from behind those barriers. But, but that's not liberty. That's bondage, being held captive by our, our fears. Remember, nothing is as it seems in this life. Everyone is renting gold rings around us. They're making a life to, to pretend to be something that they're not. God, open our eyes to see others through the eyes of Christ. Let that be our prayer. God, open our eyes to see others through the eyes of Christ. He will see past that facade. We can trust he will do that. 
but let us judge in faith with the law of liberty. Liberty is placing our fears in the hands of God because we have a God who understands betrayal. He understands slander. He understands being looked down upon. It is in Jesus we see mercy triumph over judgment. In Jesus, our judgment was taken away and we received mercy. We can show mercy. In Jesus, that barrier that separated us from God was torn down and the effect of that is that we are all equal. All of us in this room are equal at the foot of the cross. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That mercy shown to me a sinner, not deserving of anything is now the lens through which I can view the world and every other human interaction I have, every human interaction is now an opportunity for me to be a living sacrifice. And will I stumble and fall? Yes, I will. I will show partiality. I will show partiality. But it's that same mercy that draws me back in forgiveness and coming before the Lord. And why we come before communion every week is because we need to come and say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me the things that I have done. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and to show us mercy. And it draws us back to the foot of the cross. And that's that mercy, it's that mercy that he shows me and that I can show to those who have hurt me or threatened me. As we close this morning, I just wanted to share, just a, it was probably a, one of the most profound um, times of unity that I've experienced in my life with just various people from various cultures. And this idea of all of us being, this is where that phrase, I use this phrase a lot, you'll probably hear me use it a lot, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And this is kind of where that phrase came from in my life. Back in 2006, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Afghanistan, take a music team with us. And uh, our primary job was to minister to the troops on the various bases in Kabul and and um, Bagram Air Force Base, and we went to some forward operating bases as well. But we did have this opportunity to meet with these, this, at this mission house with all these missionaries who were not protected by the military. They were there of their own volition and ministering to the people there in Kabul in a, in a devastating, I mean, the place looks like, it looks like Mars. It's just devastated, you know, from the war. And we were just all there in the same room. People, there were, there were missionaries from the Philippines, from Africa, from the United States, Canada, from Europe, um, you know, Asia. Uh, and then there were us from Hungary, you know. And um, we just sat down. We started to worship together. We started to sing a song that everybody knew. And it was, we were in the middle of a place that if we walked outside the door and we declared the name of Jesus, we would be killed. That was the kind of place we were in. And we, those that person killing us would be justified in doing it. We couldn't preach the gospel on the streets because, you know, you would be murdered for it. But we just started to sing in this, this you know, with all these people that I didn't, we just walked in the door. We'd known them 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And we just started to sing about the Lord, sing about Jesus and think, sing about what he had done for us. And the, the unity was so intense with all these people from every country and every nation, every tribe and every tongue. And I just remember that phrase coming to my mind and to my heart. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. That same mercy shown to the rich and the poor, material wealth or poverty will not determine our standing in the final judgment, but whether we have laid hold of that salvation made available to all men. It is through this lens that James here 
has encouraged us to see humanity as God sees them and to put aside our prejudices and partiality and think redemptively about all those that we encounter in life. Let us pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for this time. Lord, this passage that you have shared with us is through the book of James is very intense. Even last week, just the idea of if we don't bridle our tongue, our, our, our religion is, is worthless, Lord. And, and I just feel that as Christians and as a church, as we go through the book of James, that you're just going to take us maybe and, and, and take us through some hard times and maybe examination of our own hearts. And that's not a bad thing, Lord. Just as David prayed that, that you would examine his heart, Lord, we pray, examine our hearts. And Lord, even in this time, in this nation that we live in, and uh, though we can, we, can, we can see all of the, the things that are happening within our governments and within our society, and we can say that's not our problem. But Lord, you've made us your hands and feet, and we can say, Lord, how can I be a part if just to show grace to my neighbor, to my coworkers? And Lord, that you would just take these words that James shared with us, that you anointed with the power of your Holy Spirit and just bury them deep in our hearts and that we might be able to work them out in our salvation and, and, and by faith, Lord, and that you would just lead us by your Spirit in these things. And we're just so grateful, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him, judgment and mercy have come together and that he took the judgment upon himself so we might receive mercy And we say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. 